0: Welcome to Christ City Church. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Lisa Rodriguez-Watson and I serve as the pastor of discipleship and equipping here at Christ City Church. Please stand as you're able to reverence the reading of God's word. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and, began, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed, Who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let me pray for Andrea as she comes to bring us the word this morning. God, thank you so much for this word and for this reminder that blessing comes in really difficult things. Help us to anchor ourselves in the truth of your word as brought by Andrea today. God, I pray that you would form us and fashion us into people who resemble your kingdom, who are signposts of your kingdom, who tell the truth about your kingdom. God, thank you for Andrea. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do your work in us and through us. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Good morning, church. My name is Andrea. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. And I am just longing to be together this morning. I am not feeling pumped to be talking into a camera this morning. Um, You know, we just know that this isn't the way that we're meant to be together, so I'm longing for us to be together today. Thank you for staying connected via the internet and Zoom and text messages. You know, if you just want to... Send me a random selfie of your face, your kid, your dog. I'm cool with that. Blow my phone up, absolutely. I will send you one back, however. Um, so just be prepared for that. Uh, we are in a series on the Beatitudes. This is week three, and when we planned for this series at the beginning of the year, in January, when hope was still alive. We figured that we'd be you know, in election season, which we are, but of course we didn't know at the time that when we preached this sermon series, we'd all have been away from one another for almost eight months. We'd still be grappling with a pandemic and the many implications of it. We didn't know about the chaos that we would have all experienced during COVID, um, the racial violence, the protests, all that came with that for us as individuals, for us as a church, for us as a country. We didn't know about the increasing experiences that we're all having with anxiety, with depression, about the deep grief over losing people that we care about, over losing livelihoods, what feels like the consistent dimming of hope. We didn't know any of that. What we did know, though, was that we would need at this point in the year, what we figured is that we'd need to be reminded of the kingdom that we're called to be participants and citizens in. And so even though we didn't know all that other stuff, we still stand by that. We do need to be reminded of the kingdom, what it looks like, where to find it more than ever. And our hope in this series is to center ourselves amongst the chaos, to center ourselves on God's kingdom as characterized in the Beatitudes. So as we've recognized over the past couple of weeks in this series, the Beatitudes are not a to-do list. It's easy to read them and think of them as like a checklist. You know, do this and be happy. Do this and be blessed. It's easy to make the Beatitudes into a list of qualities or like deeds to strive to do or use them as like qualifications to enter the kingdom of God. But these are actually not the aims of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not prescriptive for us. They're actually descriptive. They're not commands. They're declarations. Jesus has been preaching that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. And in the Beatitudes, he describes the characteristics of that kingdom, defining from the beginning of his ministry that the kingdom of God is a reversal of the way things have been and the way that things are. It's an upside-down reality. One of the prophecies in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61 regarding Jesus, details Jesus' ministry and mission as being anointed to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn. In the Gospel of Matthew, this section we call the Sermon on the Mount that has the Beatitudes in it, is Jesus' first public act. And the Beatitudes are his opening remarks. And it's fulfilling this scripture from Isaiah. It's bringing blessing to the poor, bringing blessing to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted. It's declaring the Lord's favor on them. It's declaring their place in the kingdom. And the Beatitudes... Our promises of the kingdom, there are reassurances that God is moving and working right now and, and continually to bring about God's rule and reign. And, and God's rule and reign is completely different than the way that we live now. The ones who are blessed in the kingdom are those that get the bottom of the barrel in the world. Both Justin and Matthew have talked about the greater meaning of the Greek word makarios, that is translated in our English Bibles as blessed. I think we have particular associations with the word blessed that probably don't fit here. I know that I do. In this context, in in Matthew, those in the Beatitudes that receive blessing are greatly revered. They're honored, favored, even. Another understanding of these verses could be fortunate. the poor, the meek, the hungry, the peacemakers. To define it just as happy is not wrong, but it's incomplete. Fortunate are the poor, greatly revered are the meek, honored are the hungry, favored are the peacemakers. The Beatitudes are not a means for idealism, though it's very tempting to view them as such. I was reading a book this week by a theologian named Glenn Stassen, and it's on this sermon of Jesus's, and I really appreciated his words here. I think it articulates this really well. Idealism speaks to people who are not what the ideals urge. It promises that if they live by the ideals, they will get rewards. The Beatitudes are not like that. They celebrate that God is already acting to deliver us. Is Jesus saying joyful are those who are poor and humble before God because being poor and humble makes them virtuous so they will get the reward that virtuous people deserve? Or is he saying joyful are those who are poor and humble before God because God is gracious and God is acting to deliver the poor and humble? In the world, these are not the ones who are revered, but in the kingdom... These are the ones that receive favor and they already receive honor from God and should also receive honor from those who would align their lives with God's way. This is what Jesus declares in the Beatitudes. It's not a list of ideals to live up to, but it's declaring the truth about the reality of the kingdom of God and what it's like. That being said, the Beatitudes do compel us towards movement. If the Beatitudes are a declaration of the way things are in the kingdom, then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which goes through Matthew chapter seven, which obviously we're not going to cover today, but the rest of that sermon is, is how to participate in the kingdom. The Beatitudes are what the kingdom is like already. And then the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of it that follows is how we can participate in said kingdom. The Beatitudes are not commands, but they preface the commands and the teachings of Jesus that follow. Not retaliating, what to do with anger, loving your enemies, giving as worship, not performance, uh, how to pray, the treasures that matter, serving God over money, not worrying about the future, the golden rule. These all only make sense in light of the Beatitudes. Living this way, making counter cultural, sometimes seemingly counterintuitive decisions on how to act and how to react, they seem worthlessly risky unless we're reminded of kingdom reality. Unless we're reminded that the, the poor and the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful are blessed, that they're revered, that they are favored and honored in the kingdom. The Beatitudes are a promise to us that living this way is worth that risk. That what we see in front of us is not reality. One commentary actually put it this way. The Beatitudes stand as a daring act of protest against the current order. I really liked that. So preparing for the sermon this week... I have not been able to escape thinking about the state of our country, particularly uh, because the election is looming just in a couple of weeks, and the current order is not God's kingdom. The current order is actually something to resist and to protest, and just in thinking about it this week and not being able to escape it, the, cur- the current order it just stands in such sharp contrast to the values of the kingdom that are laid out in the beatitudes. So in this series, in this series we're we're looking at each of these values, each of these seven beatitudes as we continue to navigate this particular season of politics and pandemic and just life. And as we seek to protest against the current order of things. So we've looked at the promise of blessing and place in the kingdom to those who are poor and to those who are poor in spirit. And then we've looked at the promise of blessing and comfort for those who mourn. Today, we're looking at the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they will will inherit the earth. I think... If there is one way that the Beatitudes stand in contrast with the current order, especially here in the U.S., it is definitely here. We do not revere the meek. We tend to understand, I think, meekness as weakness or um, lack of will or to be meek is to be a doormat. Um, For us now, in the current order, the meek do not inherit anything because they don't deserve it. I have particular associations with meekness, uh, particularly as it relates to commands in the Bible, and particularly uh, coming at this as a woman who is also Korean American. I tend to um, buck against any assertion that I am meant to be a spineless, harmless, passive, quiet, because that's never gonna happen, um, like doormat type of person. That kind of definition of meekness feels very much at odds with what I know about human beings as mandated co-creators with God. It feels at odds with what I know about our God who honors human agency. The word translated in, into English as meek is the Greek word prēus, which has a broader meaning than we've created here, than we associate it with. To be meek is not to be passive or weak, but it's to have strength under control and it's to be surrendered to the will of God. To be meek is to have a true view of ourselves, no more, no less. And it's, it's not to be impressed by our own sense of self-importance. It's to default to restraint and control instead of excess. So this same word is used in later in Matthew in chapter 11, in which Jesus describes himself as Preus says, come to me all that are weary and all that are carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle Preus and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So it's the same Greek word here, preus. it's just translated here, not as meek, but as gentle. But it's the same word, we just translate it differently. This is how Jesus describes himself. This is the same Jesus that flips tables in the temple out of anger. The same Jesus who has some very choice words for those who oppress the marginalized. This is the same Jesus who heals, who performs miracles, who teaches crowds passionately and in truth. And this is how he describes himself as meek. I'm meek. Jesus was not passive. He wasn't a doormat. He was certainly not spineless. He was not lacking in power, but he yielded that power to God. He didn't shield himself from being vulnerable. He didn't live grasping for power or privilege or status or self-importance. He was meek. The Apostle Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 12 when he turns pride upside down, when when he boasts about his weaknesses because in them are the power and the presence of God. He says, whenever I'm weak, then I am strong and seems illogical, but in the kingdom, weakness is strength. I think we tend to boast in our strengths, rarely in our weaknesses, but it's there that we're closer to the kingdom of, of God. Blessed are the meek, those who accept their dependence who can be content in honor or dishonor those who are surrendered to the will of God. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Those who are meek understand and they embrace their limits, their limitations. They recognize their own lack of power in light of God's and they joyfully accept God's rule and participate in the life of the kingdom, just like those who mourn want God's reign because they will be comforted and, the, and just like those who are poor because they rely on God's provision and in the kingdom they are provided for out of God's abundance. These are the people that are fortunate in the kingdom. These are the ones that want the kingdom of God to come. They eagerly await the kingdom. They long for the kingdom and they look for it. Meekness is not something that is valued in the world, not in our country, not in our city. We instead, I think, live in service of things like optimism. Confidence and abundance, and we assume that these things invoke God's blessing. We don't keep space well for mourning or for poverty, for hunger or thirst, for weakness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth is straight up foolishness in the current order of things. For us now, our beatitudes would sound more like, blessed are those who hustle. Blessed are those who are well connected and educated for theirs is opportunity. Blessed are those who look out for themselves and their own, who avoid pain, who achieve success and security. Blessed are those who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, who push the limits of capitalism, who accumulate wealth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money, for fame, for security. Blessed are those who have never been taken advantage of, who never show weakness, for theirs is the biggest piece of the pie. Blessed are the ruthless, for they end up on top. I was reading another pastor's thoughts on... This particular beatitude this week, and I think he describes this really well. Our typical approach to life is that success or wealth or power equals happiness. The problem with that is the more you succeed, the more wealth and power you gain, the more you have to lose. And therefore, the more you relate to life in fear and competition. This way of life leads us to think we can only be happy in life by winning by beating someone else at the game. So in the world's reality, we have to hustle for what we get. Restraint, humility, meekness, they don't make any sense because in the world, the meek get nothing. But in in the reality of the kingdom though, the meek are already promised an inheritance. Blessed are the meek for for they will inherit the earth And inheriting the earth is another way to say inheriting the new earth or inheriting the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the kingdom of God. There's no clawing their way to security. Their inheritance is already given. This is the promise that's declared in the Beatitudes. And meekness is not opposed to stewardship. It's not opposed to leadership, to action, to working hard at something. It's not um, opposed to anger, to pursuing justice and goodness. But those who are meek do not live in fear of scarcity because they are promised abundance in the kingdom. I've just, I've been so struck by the contrast between the characters of the kingdom, the characteristics of the kingdom, and the characteristics of the world that we live in this week. And honestly, it's been hard to not retreat to idealism. Even in writing this sermon, it's, it's been hard to explore the Beatitudes as, as describing the kingdom and not prescriptions for better living. I do believe, though, Like I said, that these descriptions, these promises of the kingdom do do call us to movement. In Matthew, Jesus does make one proclamation before the Sermon on the Mount in the narrative. So in chapter 4, the gospel recounts that as Jesus began his ministry, he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near." Jesus proclaims that the kingdom has come near, it's been inaugurated, it can now be sought, it can be seen, and alongside that declaration and that proclamation, Jesus exhorts us to repent. We're called to proclaim the kingdom of God, and we're called and commanded to turn towards it. This exhortation to repent, I think, highlights the contrast of the characteristics of the kingdom of God and the characteristics of the world even more. The values that were steeped in and the world's beatitudes, we have to turn from them. We have to repent in order to recognize the nearness of God's kingdom. Where do we find the kingdom of God? How do we know that it's near? It belongs to the meek, to the poor, to the lowly. And in the places and the situations in which we find ourselves near to meekness, we find ourselves near to the poor, to the poor in spirit, to those who are mourning, to those who are truly seeking peace. It's there that we can see the kingdom. We can see its nearness. The kingdom of God is near, even though it doesn't seem like it. And especially in places it seems most unlikely. It's near. God is at work. My prayer for us this week is that we're able to recognize the nearness of the kingdom in meekness and to receive the Beatitudes as a promise of the kingdom In this season really especially. We can hope in what God is already doing. God is already redeeming. God is already turning things upside down. God is near and God can be found. Lord, let your kingdom come in our lives, in our city, in our country, in our world, on earth as it is in heaven, where the poor are provided for, where those who mourn are comforted, where those who hunger are filled, and those who are marked by meekness receive your inheritance. This is our prayer. Amen.